John chapter 4, verses 7 to 29. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his, dis his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The word of the Lord. this week, so it's a little sore, so if I looked hunched over, it's uh, not uh, an example of our sin and the heavy burden that we carry, it's not an example, I'm not going to dance at the end of this, I can assure you of the release that the Spirit gives us in grace and gospel and truth, uh, it is in fact that I am sore and in pain somewhat, so uh, just, just a heads up. Yes, ma'am. Uh, no, <laughs> I think I'm all right. Thank you. 
Let me say this about illusionists and magicians. I don't like them too much. They're, they're not my, my favorite thing in the world. Illusionists and magicians uh, uh, I, I find uh, to be tricky, which uh, goes with the territory, I think. They're supposed to be tricky. I think one of the things that is most uh, difficult for me in them is that they have this uh, way of providing misdirection or sleight of hand so that they are saying, now I'm going to do something with this dollar over here, but while they're doing that, they're doing something with their hand over here, but you're watching the dollar over here, but their hand is doing something over here, and all of a sudden a trick is done, and you go, uh, now how did that happen? And so part of it could be control idol that I might have, that I want to know how things work and why they're working that way, and I just kind of need to let go and release that and, and let it be okay. Other, other parts of it is because if you're that good at um, sleight of hand or of manipulation, then that probably means you really don't have that many friends because you spend a lot of time by yourself practicing that. And so you might not have the social skills to actually hang out uh, with us that often. If you're a magician here or an illusionist, Good on you. I, I, probably, I probably like you, but don't do a trick around me because uh, it throws me off. What we find in the Samaritan woman here is a brokenness that is an avoidant brokenness. It's a place where she is confronted by Christ and she avoids it. She has a sleight of hand or misdirection. She doesn't want to actually delve into what Christ is saying to her. This identity that she has and she possesses that is outside of the knowledge of who Christ is, she wants to shift over and talk about something important. And so today when we look at this avoidant sort of brokenness, we should recognize it in ourselves that we are avoidantly broken. Remember, we believe that God is a God who is in a relentless pursuit of redemption of us. That he desires for us to be in a whole relationship with him, a whole relationship with ourselves, a whole relationship with all others, and a whole relationship with place. But that we live in a fractured and broken place in our lives. That we often are not able to step into that wholeness. And in fact, when we're confronted by it, when we are seen by Jesus as being incomplete or not whole or broken, instead of dealing with that brokenness, we tend to move and sort of do a sleight of hand or misdirection, and we become avoidant of what it is. But luckily for us, in the Samaritan woman, Jesus pushes into her life. He begins to talk to her about what is going, and in fact, answers her question and brings her to the truth of the gospel and what it means. And so we're going to look at her life and we're going to see for ourselves that place where we can move from brokenness, this avoidant brokenness, to wholeness. It's interesting to point out that this woman comes uh, to the well. Now, we don't know exactly what time it is. A lot of commentators say midday or it's during a time when other people weren't coming there. It's actually not clear in the scripture what time of day it is that this is happening. But what we do know is that at this very point, Jesus for us shows us how much this pursuit of God is about going into the broken world. Now, he set off his disciples to go into Samaria to buy food. That should shock us. That is unheard of. They're Jewish men walking into a Samaritan town to purchase food. They're not even supposed to go into the house of Samaritans, let alone give them money for food. They're going to trade in commerce with them. 
And they're stopped in Samaria. They shouldn't have been walking through there anyway on their way back to Jerusalem. And they're there, and Jesus says, I'm a little parched and a little hungry. Why don't you boys run into town and get some food for us? Now, the interesting thing about it is they don't go, well, maybe we should wait till we get out of Samaria. They go to do it. Second thing that happens is the Samaritan woman comes up and she's drawing deep into this well. Now, this is not like just dipping in with your hand and getting water. She's got to send something down into the well and then bring it back up. And then it's just a bucket, right? A jar. And then out of that jar, you then pour water out of it or you have a utensil to, to drink out of it. Now, she's carried the jar up there, so she probably has a utensil that she can drink out of once she gets there because she's going to go down and get a drink, and that way she's refreshed and she can walk in back into town and use her water. We don't know why she's there. We don't know if it's because uh, it's the only time she can go. We don't know if it's because she was in the middle of the forest and she just needed more water because she was in town. But what we know is she's there. And Jesus sees her as a Samaritan woman, and he says to her, give me a drink. Now, notice, Jesus is talking to a woman, one, Jewish men should do it, a Samaritan woman. Jewish men would never do this. Now he's already sent his men off to go buy food, but he's taking commerce with him. I mean, that's just dirty, filthy money. Why are you doing that? Then he says to a Samaritan woman, I want a drink. He doesn't have anything to give her. He's not asking her to pull up water. He's saying to her, I need your water. He's going to drink after a Samaritan In his relentless pursuit, saying redemption comes to all people, he's saying these boundaries do not match these things. So he's elevating the Samaritan woman up right there just in asking her for a drink, moving her to a place. Now that's confrontational. So much so that the woman says to him, wait a minute, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. What are you thinking as a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for a drink? Now, here's Jesus' kindness. Because he is confronting, but he's comforting. See, he recognizes that she is someone who wants something. And he sees in her a desire for wholeness. And he moves in and he says, well, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. Now that starts a conversation to go on. And as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, it's one of the longest conversations that we have recorded in all the Gospels. It's to a Samaritan woman. How great is our God that he wants to wreck our preconceived notions of separation and says, no, I in myself build unity among all people. That yes, your diversity is important, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is that you rest in me as your creator God. And through Christ, I draw all men together, as Ephesians reminds us, building us into one man. That he's put to death hostility. He does this very practically here. And it should challenge us and encourage us that there is no separation between us. That we can move into places where we might actually feel uncomfortable because we don't recognize or we don't act or we don't respond in the same way as other people. But we know that Christ... In God is higher and above all those things. He is below all those things, keeping us together, and moves us to a place where we recognize our identity and the identity around us of those around us, not in ourselves, not in what we have all these external things in, but in Christ alone. 
So it starts this conversation. And this conversation is first about water and give me this water so I don't have to come to the well anymore. And he's telling her that it's not that type of water, that it is living water that springs from him. And she says, I want this water. And he says, well, go get your husband. Now, it's interesting to point out here, for many, many years, there's been conversations, particularly after the Reformation, about how this woman was a harlot or was a loose woman. Before the Reformation, and in recent years, there have been conversations that have been taking place about how, if you look at Jewish custom and Sumerian customs of marriage in those days, in that places, that most likely she wasn't a loose woman. So there's a couple of clues for us here. One is, it says, he says, she says, I've, I don't have a husband. And he goes, what you've said is true. You actually have had four husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, in those days, if this woman was a loose woman, someone who had been divorced multiple times by men, so divorce was very easy. A man, for a man in particular, he could say, I just don't like her. I don't like her cooking. She's done this bad to me, and gives her a writ of divorce, a divorce and it's done. She looked at me oddly. Boom, divorce. Now, Jesus has told us that the only just cause for divorce is adultery. But if a woman has been caught in adultery and she is then divorced, most men would not marry an adulteress for risk of being shamed themselves, for risk of getting their sin by association up on them. So very likely she might not have been this loose woman who had five husbands or four husbands and a man that wasn't her husband that she was living with. What could be the case is that she had a husband that maybe gave her a writ of divorce for whatever reason or perhaps a husband that has passed away and she now needs to take care of herself and a woman can't take care of herself in that day and age. She needs a man to look after her. How false that is. And so she finds another husband. And perhaps that husband passes away or gives her, or perhaps it is an abusive relationship. And there was a way for women in an abusive relationship to go grab a man to be an advocate for her, and that man could file a writ of divorce for her. And so perhaps it was an abusive relationship that the whole town knew about. And so when that writ of divorce came from a man, they allowed it to happen. Now, let's say that's four tragic events that happen in her life. A husband dies, a husband divorces, she divorces a husband, and another husband dies. Now, oftentimes, what really needs to happen when it comes to marriage is there needs to be this dowry that is paid. And there has to be a certificate of that dowry. And if there's not a certificate of that dowry, it is not really a marriage. And she's had a hard life. And doesn't have a dowry. Confronted by the sin of people, he tells them, you need to repent. You need to turn away. Go and sin no more. That's not anything that ever happens with the Samaritan woman here. Now, 
it really, for us, doesn't matter if she was a harlot or if she was a woman who had hard life circumstances. Because the point is, whether she was a harlot or hard life circumstances, when she sees that Jesus knows these things without ever meeting her, it freaks her out. (laughs) As it should. Here is a man who knows something about me that he shouldn't know. Here's a man, first of all, who's asked me for a drink, and he should have never asked me for a drink. He's telling me he's got something called living water. Clearly, he's a prophet. Clearly, he knows something beyond. And so what she does in this moment of confrontation about her real identity, about who she is, is she does a sleight of hand. She's avoidant. And she says, hey, we say you worship Peter. You all say you worship Osiris. In that moment, in the places where we look, God, through other people, through his scripture, through his word, through worship, through service, oftentimes will point out something about our identity. Point out a place where we have a weakness or a place where we have been overcome by the fact that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that, that uh, I'm shameful of this brokenness that is within me, that, that I uh, don't believe that I can possibly be loved by a God, is to build adequate systems in place. So I do the right things. I go to church. I read the Bible every day. And when I don't, I feel guilty about it. I make sure that I pray in a good way. I sing the songs that I know when the songs are being sung in service. I only listen to positive radio. I don't watch certain TV shows. I don't read certain things. And we set up this system in order to avoid the fact that really deep in our heart, what we're saying is we're questioning God's love for us. See, our attempts to gain approval is basically saying, I don't believe that I'm approved. It's a sleight of hand that we do in our own hearts. Sometimes the sleight of hand that we do when we are confronted by the truth of who Christ is, is we say, you don't see me. I think I've told the story before that when we were a youth minister at a church camp, uh, we had a gentleman who, as we were in the middle of getting ready to pray, yell at all the young men who had their hats on because he wanted them to take their hats off in respect to the prayer that we were about to do. We, as young youth ministers, found it kind of funny that he stopped in the middle of prayer by shouting, Boys! Boys! Hats! (laughs) While somebody was praying to get them to respect the fact that somebody was praying. So the next day we made fun of him which is not a good Christian thing to do, by saying and inventing this thing called the magic hat, that if you put the hat on, then God couldn't see you. Because if he can't hear you with the hat on while you're praying, then he must, so if you want to sin, put your hat on. Jesus can't see you anymore. It was well received by most of the children. It wasn't quite received well by the gentleman. 
And we did have to take our hats off and apologize to him and allow God to see us. We do the same thing in our own lives. We'll find things to cover us up, we think, from God. Oh, he won't see me do this. I mean, it's in the guise of love or uh, 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 reaching out for somebody and we sort of cover ourselves. Sometimes that cover is just to go full on in the truth. Just to say, clearly God has let go of me. Clearly, I what the Samaritan woman does. Whether it's because of how hard her life had been, how broken her life had been, all the circumstances that she had had, she recognizes that there can't possibly be some. If you saw my life, man, you would know I can't trust anything good. Or if she was a harlot, she wouldn't want anybody to know that. But here Jesus says, yep, what you're saying is true. And he moves into her life. And she asks this deeply theological question. Where do you worship? And Jesus answers her kindly. It's not about where you worship. It's about who and how you worship. The who is him. (laughs) It comes later when she says, I know that Christ is coming. And he says, who you've been talking to? But then it's how. It is in spirit and is in truth. It is moving beyond our external things. Over the last few weeks, as we've talked about our brokenness, and in the book of Galatians, one of the things that we kept talking about is the fact that God is less worried about the external manifestations of the internal motivations of our hearts and our sin. Right? That the sin within our heart is actually what is breaking us. It's not the way that it shows itself outside in our flesh. The same is true about worship. How and where that worship is happening, where that worship is happening, and how it looks externally is not nearly important as the truth of it resting in our heart. That it is in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, Those who are born of the flesh are the flesh, and those who are born of the spirit that God, here Jesus, here Jesus said, that I'm seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. Moving forward, saying, a person who knows how to worship in spirit and truth is a person who recognizes God. Who recognizes that he is holy and mighty. Who, because of our brothers and divine In all of us, to 
place and that's what he's saying to her spirit and truth has to do with Jesus and Jesus alone when he tells her that I am the Messiah the Christ the one she leaves her water and she runs back into town once we move from the place of our avoidant brokenness, all we can do is help share the one who knows everything about us. <laughs> she runs into town. Now, here's another reason why I think maybe she wasn't such a, a bad girl. It's because when she goes into town, people listen to her. <laughs> they respond to her. Now, it could be that she was a harlot and she's completely transformed in that one moment. And she says, this is the man who's told me everything about me. And they're like, then you shouldn't be happy. Why are you happy? We've got to go figure that out. <laughs> right? That could be the reason why they run up the hill. Like, you, if somebody tells you everything about you, you shouldn't be happy. Here's the thing. In telling her everything about her, he was telling her who she was. Somebody that she didn't even know who she was. So she couldn't help but be happy. And when we've experienced that, when we've walked into the place where we can know in all our foibles, in all our brokenness, in all our desire to avoid everything that is confrontational about this Christ, when we step into that place, we are completely comforted by him because he knows us better than us. He knows our need to die. He knows the purpose of our, our personhood. And he moves us in a direction where we can't help but tell those around. Come and meet the man who told you everything about me. How life changing and altering that is. That I no longer need to hide anything. I no longer need to be avoidant about anything. I no longer have to have sleight of hand in any of my relationships. I have the ability to be truth, complete and utter. And in that, people will know me and they will love me and they will understand me and I will know them and understand them. And I will love them. Our dear brother Andy is off in the States currently. I don't know if you know this about Andy, but one of the ways that he's helping to fund this trip back to the States is he's doing a couple of, couple of shows, music shows. Now, he's not performing any original music. He's only performing Rolling Stones music, and he actually is performing it as Mick Jagger. I don't know that you know that Andy is an excellent Mick Jagger uh, 
not an impersonator, but uh, emulator. Yeah, that's a good word, emulator. Not to be distractive when he comes back on Sunday worship, but if you look at him, he kind of looks like a young Mick Jagger as well. And if you just get him to kind of do this, then it's all gone. They have a song that they sing. It says you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. All she was wanting is to have a theological question answered to avoid the fact that she has come in contact with somebody who knows way more than he should. All she wants is to get off that mountain and away from this guy, this Jewish man, who asked her for a drink and never should have. All she's wanting is to avoid. But what she needs is a Savior. What she needs is an encounter with the redemptive, pursuing God. And that's what she gets. For us, it's true, too. We have lots of things that we want, lots of things that we desire, many of them good things, many of them that seem pure, many of them that seem like they're the right things to go after. But the thing that we should be going after more than anything is going after stopping and allowing the pursuit of God to catch us. Because we don't need what we want. And we just might find we get what we need. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. Thank you for strengthening my back for this moment. Thank you for guiding us to a place of understanding how we work to avoid an encounter with you. Teach us again to move into the place of assurance that you bring us and create us to be worshipers of you in spirit and in truth. Let these words be your words and let them take root in our hearts and bring glory to you. And if they are not your words, let them burn up and fly away. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.